the icons of real estate podcast. Are you ready to learn the proven money-making secrets from top producing icon agents? Ready to skyrocket your business? This podcast is for you. Tune in every week with your host, Tomasz Fonseca, and find out how to implement proven strategies to 10 times your business. From $3 million to $30 million in just 12 months. Brought to you by the Masters in Real Estate Marketing, Ardor SEO. Welcome to Icons of Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Patty Peel. Let me tell you a little bit about today's guest. His name is Jeremy Goodrich. Jeremy co-owns Shine Insurance Agency, a teacher at heart. He simplifies insurance for home buyers and real estate agents by giving them step-by-step guidance. He also hosts the Multifamily Real Estate Podcast, Managing Commercial Real Estate Risk, and has the most watched independent insurance agency YouTube channel. Welcome, Jeremy. Patty, it's so uh, great to be here. So excited to talk with you. Icons of real estate. I sort of picture a wall with a bunch of shelves and like bobbleheads or something like that. And on each one, there's a plaque that says, you know, this person's name and why they're an icon of real estate. And somehow, some way I, I get to be on your show and Aww. maybe get to have that little bobblehead on that imaginary shelf. Absolutely. So really excited to be here. Or a crown. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much. So we usually start by asking our guests to share their journey. So would you share yours and how you got to where you are right now? I know you were a teacher way back when, so tell us your story. Yeah, absolutely. So I was an elementary school teacher for 13 years from 2000 to 2013. I taught third and fourth grade teachers, you know, math and how to write and how to read and how to play hockey and um, worked at a really cool school where I really had a lot of freedom to teach the way I wanted to teach. And it was incredibly fulfilling and I enjoyed every second of it. There was one small problem with it that most teachers do have, which was I didn't make barely any money at all for 13 years. I made $27,000 a year, and at some point, it just wasn't working anymore. I was building up you know, debt. I was not able to take care of my family in the way that I wanted to, and so I decided to move on to something. <clears throat> I decided to move on to something else, and at the time, I, I had met who my, my wife and business partner, the woman who we started, I ended up starting a business with, and she had a history in insurance. She uh, was running, managing an insurance agency at the time. She's a third generation insurance agent. And so we kind of put ourselves together. She was kind of tired in being in rooms full of, you know, old white men and no one else. There were no women in the room, no diversity in the room. And that was the industry as she knew it. And she really wanted to make changes to that in some way. I was kind of done teaching, but I wanted to bring education into something else. And so we put those two ideas together and we started Shine Insurance in 2013 with the goal of changing the way people feel about insurance. Well, I'll be your first challenge because my kind of eyes roll back into my head when I start to think about insurance and coverage and all that kind of thing. So thank you. This is going to be very helpful coming from a teacher's uh, background as well. So your company specializes in commercial real estate. Let's start with the very basics. What is included in that spectrum? So, you know, I think it continues from where 
I stopped before this question, which is when I started the agency, I really was trying to find one of the thing I, things I understood that you needed to do as a business owner, an entrepreneur of any kind, is really zero in on who it is that you want to serve. The more specific you can get, the better. And I think this is true across the real estate industry as well, whether your listeners are brokers, whether they're realtors, whether they're service providers to the industries, or whether they're investors themselves. You've got to figure out who it is you're serving. You know, you see great realtors, for example, who are really trying to connect with maybe doctors or maybe accountants or maybe teachers, or, you know, they connect with someone who's in an industry and really talk to them specifically. I knew at the beginning of our journey that that was what I wanted to do as well. And so I started looking, okay, who is it that needs me? I'm a brand new insurance agent. I know very little about insurance, except what I did for my coursework to get started. How can I really help people at the beginning? And so I focused on first-time homebuyers, people who were buying a house for their first time. Because what I realized, well, I I focused on those. And so as um, I started engaging with those folks, they started asking me questions like how to find the best realtor, how to find the best lender, what's the escrow period, what happens at closing? Like, I just was able to have all these questions coming to me and I didn't really know the answers. And so I went out to those folks. I asked real realtors, Hey, can I sit down with you and ask you some question questions? I asked appraisers, you know, and title company owners to sit down and talk. And I, I started doing this in around 2013, but I was recording these conversations. So I would have a camera out and have a microphone out and I started putting, putting them on them up on YouTube. And so I was just answering these questions for first-time homebuyers mm-hmm. um, about the whole process. And that's how the YouTube channel got to be the size that it is now, the largest independent agency uh, um, YouTube t- channel out there. And it was really just teaching people how to buy a house, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that sort of evolved uh, for a while. And then I started teaching people how to invest in their first home, maybe by house hacking or purchasing a duplex or a quad or something like that. And again, just asking other people who had done it before, getting them into conversation, recording it and putting it out there. And then uh, finally, over the course of the last few years, I've moved into purely commercial real estate. So our national program serves uh, folks in the office, retail, industrial, self-storage, and multifamily space. And that's really what I'm focused on. So that was a long version of the answer to your question. I love long versions. So thank you very much. So it sounds like you're answering a lot of questions for people. So it solved a need. Currently, do you solve the need that a lot of people have when they're asking you questions about commercial real estate? Yeah, I think I play, you know, for anyone who is in the commercial real estate world, you know that it is a team game. When you're working in the residential world with smaller, maybe you're doing flips, maybe you're picking up uh, a duplex or a quad as a rental. Um, It's sort of like starting your own business. When you buy a quad and rent out all four spaces or rent out three spaces and live in the fourth one yourself, you've started your own business, right? Mm -hmm. The basics of that make sense. When you get into real estate, you're really not starting your own business. You are purchasing existing businesses. You're going out and buying a retail space that has six different tenants. 
you're going out and buying an office building that has 20 tenants. You're going out and buying a 200 unit apartment complex that has 200 tenants. So you're buying an existing business. And the difference between those two things is key. And I would say the most important part in commercial real estate is having a team, knowing that you're not the expert. So your question was, you know, do I give advice to commercial real estate people all the time? Yes, but I do stay in my lane, right? I know that I'm not a capital raiser. I know I'm not an asset manager. I know I have not invested in commercial real estate myself actively mm -hmm. and, you know, gone on that journey. I'm a service provider to the industry and I'm a passive investor in multiple deals. So I give advice from the perspective that I have as a risk manager uh, who helps people navigate the risk piece of the commercial real estate and as a passive investor who's invested in some of these deals. Good answer. Thank you. And you mentioned that um, too many investors have insurance that fails them when they need it the most. So mm -hmm. why does that happen? Yeah, I think about 80%. I mean, I, sometimes I say that number and it blows me away. Like I think about 80% of investors have insurance that fails them when they need it most. And it happens for one really specific reason. We're so focused on the price Yes. that we get boggled by it. And I guess a second reason is insurance is hard to understand. Mm -hmm. Insurance is a legal document, a promise between you and an insurance company to transfer risk from yourself to them. Look, no one could invest in real estate almost period, if insurance didn't exist, right? Only the richest of the rich would be able to invest in real estate, the people who could handle it if an entire building burned down or could handle it if someone was injured in their property and filed a lawsuit with a personal injury attorney, right? Like mm -hmm. the only people that could invest in real estate would be the ones who were already wealthy. Insurance transfers that risk to an insurance company so that we can still invest. We can invest in, you know, even a $500,000 property, knowing that if that entire thing burned down, we wouldn't have to come up with $500,000. The insurance company would bail us out. But the problem with all those details is that there's a lot of bad policies out there. There's a lot of bad actors in insurance, just like a lot of under other industries. And so what most investors do is go to four different insurance agents and say, hey, get me a quote. If you can win on price, I'll go with you. And they go to the next person. They say, get me a quote. You can win on price, I'll go with you. Next person, get me a quote. If you can win on price, I'll go with you. And then the fourth person, they say the same thing. And we're trained to do that by all the Super Bowl commercials about insurance and everything else, right? It's mm -hmm. always the same thing. Best price, best price, best price. Right. The, the problem with that, especially in commercial real estate world, is it, there's just so many more bad policies. And so you get four people in there. Everybody's battling each other. It's a race to the bottom. And so race what to happens- to the bottom. That is a good way to put it, isn't it? Yeah. And so what happens is you get uh, a, the, the policy that was the cheapest because you're not, you don't know insurance. You're not an insurance expert. You don't know how to study the, the documents or whatever. And so you pick the cheapest one and then, um, you know, something bad happens and you find out the value of that policy. And generally there's a whole bunch of stuff in that policy that's built to not pay out in the way that you think it will. Yeah, that is very, very important to get advice from an expert, as you said, because would you call it a red flag when um, an insurance company is offering you a rate that is so much below the industry standard? 
Yeah, yeah. I think I think a, a really, really cheap rate is a red flag in any industry. I mean, mm -hmm. usually you get what you pay for, right? right. Um, and so I think that if you see something out of the norm, that is definitely a red flag. I think most likely what's missing is coverage inside a policy. So uh, can I give you an example? Can I tell you a story? Oh, I'd love that. Yes. Okay. So there was a client that I was a part of one of these scenarios, 100 unit complex in Louisiana, um, uh, apartment complex. And they went out and did what I just described. They went to four insurance agents and said to all of them, if you can beat, you know, if you can win on price, I'll take the policy. I was one of those insurance agents. And when I realized that was the approach they were taking, I said, I'm not interested. This is not how I do business. When you're looking for a true partner, let me know. And we'll, we'll, we'll dig in there. Mm -hmm. They came back to me about six months later and they said, Hey, we just wanted to check in with you. Cause we felt a real connection with you. Um, we had a fire and it was about a $500,000 fire. Nobody was injured. That was good. It was just a kitchen fire in one of our units, but it took out about three or four units. About yeah, $500,000 was the amount of money that it was going to take to, to fix mm -hmm. the property. Their policy, long story short, paid out about $87,000 oh, for a $500,000 loss. So mm -hmm. the reason for that was their insurance agent, when they offered it, uh, underinsured the building. So the, mm -hmm. the amount of insurance was too low. It had a co-insurance clause, which without getting in the weeds, penalizes you for underinsuring. So even if you have a small claim, you get penalized in that small claim for having not insured the building to its total insurable value. So that took out about 30%. Um, they had a $25,000 deductible instead of a $10,000 deductible from the next Bex quote. I guess I left that out. They showed me another quote that they didn't take right. that was better. And that quote for a $500,000 claim would have paid out about $490,000. Mm -hmm. uh, $500,000 minus the $10,000 deductible that was on it. But, you know, these kinds of things are what start to chip away. So it had all those elements, The and then it had what's called ACV coverage, which means, and I know your eyes are, you said your eyes are going to glaze over, so this will be the last one. No, no, I, I want to learn this. Believe me, I said that. It's only because when I see the paperwork from insurance, that happens, but I, I really yeah. am enjoying this lesson. Well, it's true, and it it's true for all your listeners too, right? Mm -hmm. This This is the feeling like okay, Jeremy, you're using a bunch of words that I don't understand, right? Mm -hmm. And so ACV coverage is basically, there's two ways an insurance policy pays out. Imagine that you have a $10,000 roof. Mm -hmm. It's going to take $10,000 to replace. You have a bunch of storm damage. You need to replace the whole roof. With ACV coverage, they say, well, it's going to take $10,000 to replace that roof, but that roof is 15 years old. We're going to depreciate the value of the age of the roof. We're going to give you 3000 bucks. You're going to have to figure out the $7,000 uh, difference on your own. So they essentially depreciate for the age of whatever it is they're replacing. Oh. You can't go out and buy a 15-year-old roof. You know, it's sure. not like a car. If you have a 2010 Mazda Miata and that gets in, gets totaled in an accident, it makes sense that the insurance company says, well, look, I'm not going to pay for a 2022 Mazda mm -hmm. Miata. I'll pay mm -hmm. for a 2010, the replacement cost to go out and get a 2010 Mazda Miata. In car insurance, that makes sense. 
when you're talking about replacing a roof, it doesn't make sense, right? You cannot yeah. go out and no. get a roof from yeah. 2010. I'll buy a 10 year old roof, would you? <laughs> <laughs> right. But that it still applies to the, you know, property insurance. And so when you have ACV coverage, it gets depreciated. So that was a lot of why that $500,000 claim lost money as well. So the, the, the client bought a cheaper policy. The policy they chose was $10,000 cheaper than mm. the policy that would have covered them. And in Louisiana, insurance is pretty expensive. So 100 units, it was around a $100,000 policy. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just the example, right? You save $10,000 uh, when you were purchasing the policy. And I understand investors that are listening right now are like, I got to get, you know, the NOI has to look good. I've got to be able to make my numbers look good for my investors. But sometimes you make huge mistakes when you do that and you end up, if something bad happens, you know, having to pay $400,000 out of pocket, like the example that I just shared. Right. So do you feel like most people that are um, not experts would even notice that that ACV policy is in there or it coverage is in there or would they even understand it? No. No, I, okay. I can tell you emphatically. And I think that's another one of the problems why so many people have bad insurance policies is because we try and be the expert. So mm-hmm. when we go out to multiple people and get quotes, generally we're not going to one of those agents and saying, hey, here's all the quotes I have. Will you interpret this and tell me which one's better, right? Because you don't Mm -hmm. know who to trust or whatever. But so then you sit there with four different quotes trying to figure out all the details. And of course, you don't know what coinsurance is or where to find it in this 20-page document of legalese. Uh, You don't know what ACV coverage is, um, minimum premiums and whatever else. Mm -hmm. And so I guess my best advice for your listeners and the best way to solve this problem is to find an advice, like is one to shift your mentality around insurance to a mentality you already have around accountants, around lawyers, around property managers, around tax advisors, is that you find someone that you trust and then you count on them to play the role in your business or your investing journey that you hired them to do, right? Mm-hmm. You Absolutely. wouldn't go to a lawyer, you wouldn't go to four lawyers and say, hey, can you send me a lease? I'm going to look at the four different leases after you all send me a lease. I'm going to decide which lease, lease I like best, and then I'm going to pay the one that I like the best, right? Lawyers would yeah. say, no way. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um but that's essentially what we're doing in the insurance world. So I think we just try too hard to be the expert when the goal is really to go out and find someone who already has has built their living around being the expert. Yeah, I'm all about that. And you've sold me, definitely. That's the way to go. So um, your company makes insurance simple. Um, and what does your commercial insurance program offer if somebody wanted to get in touch with you? Yeah. So I think I start one layer up, right? I'm always talking about risk management, the capacity of us in business to be able to look at the risks that we take and figure out one of, you know, figure out how to identify them, identify Mm -hmm. the risks, Mm -hmm. how to understand them more deeply once we've identified them and how to manage them. And so this is what I talk about on my podcast all the time. And what I talk about with investors is um, insurance is a tool. Insurance is just Mm -hmm. a tool. It's a tool to pass risk on to other people, right? But you have to understand at that higher level what what your risks are and how they apply. And so that's where I start. And then really just engaging with someone. So every time I create a proposal for someone, I 
I create a video. We create a really nice overview that simplifies insurance and just says, here's the most important things you need to think about. And here's what we're offering. Um, and really lay things out as simply as I can. What we offer is a package of insurance coverage that moves the risk from you to the insurance company. The most common examples are the property coverage if a fire happens or something. Mm -hmm. The other side is liability coverage. If a tenant slips and falls and hires a personal injury attorney, right? Those are the two basic examples of insurance you're looking for, but maybe you have employees. And so then we would wanna have workers' compensation coverage, coverage for if your employee is injured while working for you, right? That's workers' compensation coverage. Maybe you have mm -hmm. cars in the name of the business or the entity. We wanna make sure we have those cars insured and so on and so forth. So that sort of gets into the weeds of what the insurance package is. It could be mm -hmm. a package of multiple things depending on what your journey is. I'm going to build something very different for a property manager than I am for an investor in one particular property. But I lay that out as we walk through the process. There's just really a lot to think about, Jeremy. I can I can totally see that. And uh, you know what to look for. So um, very, very important. I hope everybody takes this to heart, especially if that's not their expertise. Now, I know with houses, of course, because I've lived in many of them, that they're um, very different rates depending on where you are. You know, there's trouble everywhere. You're in the Midwest, there could be tornadoes. Now I'm sure. in Florida, there could be a hurricane, you know, right. mudslides. You know, so um, how does that play into the pricing? And are there certain areas that commercial investors just maybe want to stay out of because the insurance is so, so very expensive? I think that's a really important question. So insurance absolutely varies from place to place. Using apartment complexes as an example, many places in Illinois or Pennsylvania could be $250 to $300 a door for insurance, right? In your home state, Florida, one of the most expensive insurance places in the country, it could be, especially South Florida, it could be $1,500 a door for insurance. Oh, mm -hmm. So what is that 10 times, almost, you know, seven or eight times the insurance premium. So I think it's really important for an investor when you're penciling deals, when you're considering whether it's a profitable investment uh, to understand what the insurance piece will be. And so mm -hmm. it doesn't mean you should avoid Florida. It doesn't mean you should avoid, avoid Louisiana. It doesn't mean you should avoid Texas. These are the most expensive states in the country to insure properties. But that's perfectly fine. As long as you know what the number is, you can decide for yourself whether it's a proper investment or not. $1,500 a door is a lot of money for insurance, but maybe taxes are lower. Maybe you can charge more rent. You know, there's a lot of variables. So I don't think there's anywhere you need to avoid because of insurance cost. What I see people doing is listening to the guru that they hired or whatever who says, well, just put $300 a door for anywhere you're looking. Just throw that into your pro forma and you know underwrite from there. And that's really, really bad advice, not mm -hmm. only on insurance, but property taxes and lots of other things. Doing your due diligence on the front end is managing your risk. There's a risk that you buy a property that you shouldn't have bought and lose money, right? And 
the way to manage that risk is by really underwriting properly on the front end. And when you boil down to the insurance number, just making sure that you have an advisor who you can reach out to and ask for an insurance number, or we have a tool on our website at shineinsurance.com slash ballpark, where you can put answer nine yes or no questions, and it'll give you a ballpark for that property. That's so very interesting. So what's somebody puts that into your website um, and they uh, tell you about what they need, then do you ask for quotes from insurance companies around the country and then analyze them? Is that how it works? Yeah. So there's, there's two different types of insurance agencies like I am, right? One mm -hmm. is called a captive insurance company. So this is the Super Bowl commercials that you see, all those companies, the state farms, the all states, the folks mm -hmm. like that. When you call and ask them for a quote, you're getting a quote from one insurance company. Those folks work for the insurance company. They can only provide you one proposal. So which one are they going to think the best? Obviously, what, what the one they have. Um, someone who is an independent insurance agent is what I am. And then I do exactly what you just said, Patty. So once I have information, um, I go out mm -hmm. and I, I have hundreds of insurance companies that I go to. It depends on the type of property, what state it's in. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a lot of variables that I'll collect information on. And then I'll go out and I'll find options you know, multiple different options. And then I'll kind of work those options against each other. I'll oftentimes say to one person, you know, so the thing I said you shouldn't do with brokers going out to four people, mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, one of the reasons for that is because that's what I do. I'm going to go out and mm -hmm. I'm going to say, hey, you know, here's the number I have from this other company. So can you beat it or not? Okay, you can beat it. Well, let me go back to the, un uh, you know, so there's a whole bunch of back and forth around price that is that it's my job to do. That's what I go out and do. That's mm -hmm. what I'm good at. That's the relationships that I have. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I, I would put it out to a whole bunch of companies and then I boil it down so that when it comes back to you, I usually say, look, I've put this out to a bunch of folks. I've worked it down. Here's the option I think is the best and here's why. Oh, that would be so very helpful. Now, sometimes those options could be a state farm or a large company. Is that correct? So a captive company would not be the option of an independent. So I can't okay. go, I can't go to State Farm and get a quote. I see. Um, we have a bunch of different companies. A lot of times the companies are companies you haven't heard of as much because they don't uh -huh. pay for State Farm commercial, or excuse me, for Super Bowl commercials. Sure. Um, but uh so those are companies that work with independent agents. So so a captive company has chosen not to put themselves into the pool, not Got to have it. competition mm -hmm. against themselves. If you call mm -hmm. them, there's no competition. You're just talking to them. But mm -hmm. no, I can't go to them and get them. And get a quote. Okay. Got it. Yeah. That's so interesting. Obviously, I knew none of this. <laughs> that's what I'm here for. <laughs> yeah. Maybe some of our audience members did, but I'm sure many of them will not know. And this is great answers that you're giving or providing. So um, do you miss teaching? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I loved, I loved teaching. I miss a couple things about teaching. I mean, one, one was obviously just getting to hang out with kids and getting to be in that realm. I mean, I don't miss all the Pokemon stories and like some of the, <laughs> some of the stuff, you know, the, the lore that's a part of it, but yeah, I absolutely miss mm -hmm. the optimism of kids. The other thing I really miss is, you know, when I was a, a teacher, People drop their kids off at school. Sometimes I hung out with their kids more than they did in a lot of in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. and there was just a real trust factor right. that um, I didn't really think about when I left that and came over to insurance. But you kind of insurance and 
tax collectors and used car salespeople are pretty much the like most loathed people in <laughs> the world. And so I sort of went from like the most trusted Beloved. to like the most loathed. And mm-hmm. that, you know, it's nine years later and it still hurts a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, I, I I do miss teaching, although I think I got, you know, 13 years is a solid amount of time to, to Absolutely. do that. And as you said, you still are teaching. You're teaching adults, but yes. you are providing education for people. Yeah. And I've never stopped doing that. I mean, the education piece, talking on podcasts like this one, Mm -hmm. recording YouTube videos, you know, making insurance simple in the way that we provide it. Like, it's just what drives me that ability to uh, explain things, to set that light bulb off over the top of someone's Mm -hmm. head, to make something they didn't want to have to deal with just a little bit more interesting. Mm -hmm. Like that's true. You know, when I was teaching arithmetic, like how to do division, right? Mm -hmm. You teach a fourth grader how to do long division and they're sitting there staring at you. Like, when am I ever going to use this? (laughs) And I'm like, believe me, it'll add value, you know, like, and in the, it's, I'm basically doing the same thing now. Like, right. You're looking at insurance and no one wants to think about the bad times. No one wants to think about, you know, maybe my building would burn down that I just invested in, or even sure. worse, someone's injured in that fire, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, so we just want to avoid it. We don't want to think about it, but there's a reality that you may need to use it when, and when you need to use it, you'll be glad that you had the experience. So uh, d- long division and insurance, not that different. <laughs> I love that. So how do you find, Jeremy, your people, your leads that are going to know about you and come to you and investigate your company? Absolutely. So I do not have, so there, there are really two strategies for marketing in my mind. There's an outbound strategy and there's an inbound strategy. So either you can cold call 200 people and hope you get two or three leads, or you can position yourself as a thought leader in your industry, in your niche, in the community of people you want to work with. And then when those people think about you or or think about needing something, they think about you, right? So realtors are a great example of this, where a lot of realtors I see on social media and things like that are teaching us about home buying or teaching us about our local home environment and what pricing is looking like and how inventory is working and all that kind of stuff. They're just educating us. And so by educating us, we position them in our minds as a thought leader in that space. And then suddenly we want to sell our house and buy a new one and we're going to go to that person. And so that's inbound marketing that by, by just being myself, by being out there, by continuing to create content, I've created a scenario where now people call me instead of me having to call them. And so that's been the philosophy from the beginning of shine. We've Mm -hmm. always just tried to add value to the communities that we want to serve. And that has worked out really, really well. I bet it has. You're first in mind when people need insurance for their commercial properties. So mm-hmm. that's great. Yep. Now, if someone wants to get a hold of you, how would they do that? Sure. Well, I mentioned the ballpark tool. You know, if folks are investing in, in apartments or something like that, use that uh, shineinsurance.com slash ballpark and get some numbers. Really simple, really easy. You don't have to talk to anybody. And uh, so that's great. And then anything else, shineinsurance.com or our podcast, Managing Commercial Real Estate Risk, wherever you listen to podcasts. That sounds great. Thank you so much. I wanted to mention, I love the name Shine. It just sounds so happy. How did you come up with that? 
So, so many insurance agencies name their agency, like with their own last name or something like that. And we really just didn't want to do that. Again, we were trying to change the way people feel about insurance. And so we were wanted to have a name that embodied that. And we felt mm -hmm. like shine is, you know, a light bulb, like, like intelligent or a rainbow light at the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. um, there's, you know, I think a lot of metaphors around the word really embodied who we wanted to be. And uh, that has, has, uh, again, worked out really well. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed your interview today. I got an education and I know many of our listeners did too. I can't thank you enough for being an icon of real estate. We're going to send you a crown and I appreciate you being here. Patty, it's my pl pleasure. Thank you so much for having thank me. Thank you. Bye-bye now.